Is that all right? Amen. The Lord's been dealing with us, and uh, if you haven't if you haven't been here these last month or so, uh, missed some services. I would encourage you to get on our website and listen to the previous messages so you can get caught up in what the Spirit is saying to the church. Um, and I, I kind of alluded this alluded to this last night. Thank you for all of you that were here last night for our revival prayer. Thank you for those that joined with us in our three days of prayer and fasting. And uh, But if, if you've been here these last several weeks, I, I realize that uh, if you've been in church any, any length of time, if you've been in church five years, 10 years, 20 years, uh, especially, you know, some, you got some years under your belt, and uh, that it's possible that the teachings that have gone forth these last few weeks have maybe kind of confronted some past uh, beliefs or some past thought processes. Uh, have you found that to be true a little bit? Kind of confronted some things, maybe about how we previously thought or uh, what we previously, uh, how, kind of how we previously looked at some things. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and I kind of felt that as, as I've been teaching that uh, maybe there's a little bit of confusion, that, you're, uh, that maybe you're thinking, well, uh, so is this right and what we've been taught was wrong or whatever. But here, here's what I want you to understand. This is the way I want you to think about it. The revelation, when God gives revelation, it is progressive revelation, okay? It is progressive. It is, it is ongoing revelation. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9, it says, Whom shall he teach? Knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So we understand that when God speaks, when God chooses to give revelation, it says, whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? When he is wanting to give knowledge and understanding of his word, he... Uh, to his people and to his church. It doesn't just all come at one time. I mean, no, we couldn't handle it. He can't just give it to us all at once, but, but rather it is line upon line. It is here a little. It is there a little. It's, it's a precept upon precept. The word of the Lord says, very well-known portion of Scripture, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Psalms 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want you to think just for a moment, if you're carrying a lamp and it's pitch dark and you got this path ahead of you, how many steps do you think that lamp is going to illuminate in front of you? Three, four, five steps maybe? It's not going to illuminate the, your 300th step. It's going to illuminate that which is right there before you. So... So we, we, we understand, this is, this is an understanding that God said, when I give you my word, illumination, this, this is going to be progressive revelation. And the thing that about God is that he only requires us to be obedient to that which he has revealed to us in this progressive, this progressive revelation. And he's not upset at us when we don't, when we're not obedient to something that he has yet to reveal to us. Is anybody glad about that? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I mean, people, just think about this for a minute. Somebody gets in church, right? They get repent of their sins, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay? Well, they don't know that maybe God's word, you know, they're, they're partying it up on the weekends and coming to church on Sunday. They love God. They just repented. 
They just got baptized. They just got filled with the Holy Ghost. But, man, they're doing stuff that we all know would be wrong. Right? Well, they don't know it yet. Thank God that if God came at that point, they're not going to be judged for those things. Oh, it's quiet right now. Somebody said, well, they should be. (laughs) Okay, well, what should you be judged for? Are we like Christ? Right now, are we like Christ? Do we have we attained to the place of perfection? No. So there's still some stuff that we've got. And how many know as you pursue the holiness of God and pursue after relationship with God, He continues to reveal to you things, and I didn't even know that was in there. I didn't even know I was supposed to do that. I didn't even know I was doing that wrong. How many's ever thought that? Through the teaching and the preaching of the word of the Lord or your own personal prayer time, God revealed something to you and you had no idea it was there. Thank God that if the rapture would have happened six months ago, he wouldn't have judged you for that. Now, don't go too far into that. (laughs) I'm not talking about stuff he's told you and you've ignored. I'm not talking about all that stuff. I'm talking about progressive revelation. That makes sense? Okay. And so, so I guess that got a little bit deeper than what I thought there. But the, the, the point I was trying to make about what we've been talking about is let's not get upset and think that what we've received to this point wasn't enough or it wasn't good or it wasn't right because it was absolutely right to get us to this point. Okay. It's not that it was wrong. It was absolutely necessary to get us to this point. The Lord couldn't talk to us about what he's wanting to talk to us now. He couldn't talk to us about this six months ago or six years ago. He had to talk to us about some stuff line upon line and here a little and there a little to get us to this place so he could talk to us now. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. So, for instance, what, and I just wanted to address that because I, I maybe felt some people may be struggling a little bit there. But for instance, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago, but as, but as progressive revelation continues to flow in my spirit and, and in this church, I am coming to realize that whereas prayer and fasting are absolutely essential, everybody say they're essential. So do not leave this church saying pastor doesn't believe in prayer and fasting anymore. We just did it for three days. If I didn't believe it, I would have been eating cheeseburgers the last three days. Can I get a witness? So, whereas we believe that prayer and fasting is absolutely essential in the life of an apostolic believer, if all we are doing in order to see revival and for the church to grow the way God desires for the church to grow. If all we're doing to see those things is prayer and fasting so that God will release revival and God will cause the church to grow, then we are missing the point. We're missing it. For God has already released revival. It's called the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He did it in Acts 2, and he did it for most in this church when he filled us with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we need to keep on praying. But you never see 
the church in the New Testament praying for revival. You never find them praying, God, pour out revival. God, pour out your spirit. And you never see them praying for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. But what they prayed for, as we've said a couple of times now in this, in this text or in this subject, but I just want to just hammer this home in our minds and in our spirits. What they prayed for is what we need to be praying for. Acts 4.29, and now, Lord, they're praying, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching forth thine hand to heal the signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken when they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake with the word of God with boldness. They weren't praying that God would pour out his power. They weren't praying that God would unleash revival. They weren't praying that God would just open up the windows of heaven and pour out his spirit upon that city and turn all of their hearts back to the Lord. No, they said, Lord, we are praying that you would give us boldness to declare your word. In word and in deed, in word with our lips and in with action with our hands, that you would give us spiritual boldness and strength. And they prayed and said, God, we want you to use us in signs and wonders and miracles in the worlds and the context of which we live. Somebody said amen. And so I said it again uh, a few weeks ago, but I just wonder what would happen if more than a few in this room would alter your prayer from God send revival to God use me as a catalyst for revival by allowing me to walk in the boldness of spirit like they did in the early church. I am praying for boldness with my lips and with my hands to boldly proclaim your word and to be involved in signs and wonders and in miracles. Somebody said amen. God, use my hands to release revival. God, use my mouth to release revival. God, use my actions to release revival. God, I'm not just going to pray for revival every morning and then wait around on you to answer that prayer. But I'm going to make up my mind that when I get done praying, I'm then going to be intentional about living out my life with an understanding that I am an open vessel, that God can release apostolic book of Acts outpouring into my world and my school. Come on, does anybody believe this right now? Oh, hallelujah. It's not just about what I pray, but it's about what I do with what has already been given to me. And we're praying for so much stuff that we already possess. We're praying for all kinds of stuff, and we already have it. We have the fullness of God within inside of us. What else do we need? If we're praying for something, it's because we don't believe God possesses that thing. Because if we believe God possessed it, then we would believe we have it. Why? Because who's living inside of us? He is. Oh, hallelujah. 
And what he's trying to get us to understand is that we possess all power through him. But not only the power, but we possess the authority to use the power. Mm. Oh, hallelujah. I illustrated it a couple weeks ago, and I just very quickly, none of us, none of us did anything at all to cause the electricity to come into our home. All we did was sign a contract with the company. They produced the electricity. They did everything necessary to make the electricity. They shipped and however they do it through the lines into our house. But we don't call the electric company to come to our house and flip the switch. Or to turn on our microwave or turn on our radio. We don't ask the electric company to do it. That's something we have to do. Now, did we do anything to get the power? No. That power was given to us. But then we are required to do some things with the power that has been given to us. This is what I'm talking about. We didn't do anything to get the power of the Holy Ghost. Our righteousness was as filthy rags. It wasn't anything that we did, but it was the mercy of God that forgave us and washed our sins away and filled us with the power of the Holy Ghost. Now we have this power, but now God is asking us, what are you going to do with the power? But so many times we're asking God, come on, you come and flip the switch. He said, no, 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 I gave you the power. You do something with it. That's the way he set it up. He gave us the power, but then he gave us the authority to use the power. And listen, and I'm going to talk about it, but he's not going to circumvent how he set it up. He's not going to say, oh, you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to do. Well, I'll step in and start doing it. It's just not going to get done. Does that make sense? God set it up. He gave us the power and the authority, and he said, you're going to do this. I'm going to work through mankind to fulfill my purpose. If mankind doesn't do what I'm telling them to do, God's not going to come down and say, well, you didn't do a good job. Let me do it now. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to get done. And that's why we're not seeing what has been promised us we should see. Because we're not doing things that God has called us to do. And a lot of times we're praying and praying and praying that God will do them. Am I making any sense? And we get frustrated. Why aren't we seeing it? Why aren't we seeing it? We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. And God said, you can pray all you want. I'm not doing what I told you to do. Mm. Oh, hallelujah. We got to stop asking God to do what he's already told us to do. Watch this, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Now, I'm going to show you from Scripture. Now, watch. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people. And he prayed to God always. Verse 3. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him. This is an angel of the Lord. Saying unto him, Cornelius... And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? It's the angel of the Lord himself. What is it, Lord? 
He knew the Lord was speaking to him through this angel. And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. But now watch. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you ought to do. Why didn't the angel of God tell Cornelius what to do? The angel of the Lord himself was standing in the room. Why didn't the angel tell Cornelius the gospel? Why didn't the angel tell him repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Ghost? It would have been much more efficient for the angel to tell him than for him to send these two men all the way back to Joppa, which was a two days journey, one way. Then they got to get him, bring him back two days. Why didn't the angel of God tell him how to be born again? The answer is simple. Because God only gave the power and the authority to proclaim his gospel to mankind. See that? Hear me, this is so important. Because when he did that, when he gave the authority to mankind, Brother Ron, to proclaim his gospel, he limited himself to preaching the gospel through people. He limited himself. He said, I'm going to set it up where if the gospel is going to be proclaimed, it must be proclaimed through mankind. When he did that, he limited himself. Or else why wouldn't God just come down and tell everybody the gospel? Think about it. Why wouldn't God just come down in a a fleshly form and speak to every person on the face of the earth and say, I am God. Here's what you're supposed to do. No, why, why doesn't he do that? Because he gave the power and the authority of man to do that. Which is great and wonderful, but it comes with responsibility. Because now if we don't do it, it doesn't get done. God doesn't step in and say, well, you're not doing a good job, so let me do it. Oh, hallelujah. So when you and I proclaim this glorious gospel through witnessing and teaching home Bible studies and bringing people to the house of the Lord so they can hear the word of the Lord preached and taught, then God's method and God's plan, perfect plan for revival is being accomplished on earth. But if we're not doing those things, then revival will not happen. It will not happen. It doesn't matter how much we pray. It will not happen. Oh, hallelujah. Quiet right now. Watch this, 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Now let me just stop for a moment because some people exempt themselves because they say I'm not a preacher. No, preaching just means proclaiming, speaking. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. What are they preaching? What are they proclaiming? They're proclaiming the gospel. 
to save them that believe the gospel once it's been preached. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach, we proclaim Christ crucified. What is that? That's the gospel. Unto the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. It pleased, listen, it pleased God. It was set up by God. It was ordained by God for the gospel to be first declared. And for the declaration of that gospel to be what saves lost people. You know what that tells me? That Hear me. You know what that tells me? That tells me that hell does not mind at all if we pray two hours a day for our lost family members and our lost friends and our lost coworkers, if we don't actually talk to them about Jesus. Hell doesn't care. Pray 14 hours a day for them if you want. I don't care. It, 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 in fact, and I'll show it to you later, hell would rather us do that. Hell wants us praying for lost people if that's all we're doing for lost people. If we don't ever actually talk to them about Jesus, if we don't actually share with them the good news, Hell does not care at all how much we pray for him. He doesn't care how much we fast for him. Fast seven days a week for the lost if you want. It's not going to make a difference at all if you then don't start teaching somebody a Bible study and bringing somebody to the house of the Lord and discipling somebody. Oh, hallelujah. Revival's not going to fall in our communities because we fast. Man, if that's all we do, it's not going to happen. If we're not seeking every God opportunity we can in order to share this book with somebody and all we're doing is praying for them, they're not going to be saved. Church, hear me. Just, Just think with me for a moment. The enemy is so subtle, right? The enemy is so subtle. He's so sly. He's so wise. Listen, the enemy of our soul has been fighting against the church, and he's been fighting against real revival for years, like 2,000 years. (laughs) He knows what he's doing, okay? He knows what he's doing. He's been fighting churches forever. Now, just just give me your mind for a moment. Hell knows that he cannot convince us to stop praying and fasting because we wouldn't believe him. Right? If the enemy comes in and says, hey, you need to stop praying, you need to stop fasting. No, 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 no. Those are biblical principles. We know that's that's book of Acts, that's apostolic, that's New Testament. We're the New Testament church. You cannot convince us to stop praying and fasting. So hell knows that. So he's not going to do that. Because he knows we'll see right through that lie. So what does he do instead? He gets us to start thinking that revival is going to be produced by prayer and fasting. So here we are as a church 
praying and fasting away for revival, praying and fasting away for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, not teaching Bible studies, not inviting anybody to church, not telling anybody about Jesus because we think revival doesn't come through that. Revival is going to come through prayer and fasting. And so we're praying and fasting and praying and fasting and praying and fasting. Revival, 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 revival. Never one time thinking that what we're doing might not be biblical. Never one time thinking that what we're doing might not be according to God's plan for revival. So what happens? God becomes grieved because his church isn't growing. The devil is laughing because he's convinced us that what we're doing is necessary, when in reality it's not. And the church is simply doing what, they're, what they think they're supposed to be doing while all the while frustrated that they're not seeing what God told them they could see. Mm. Oh, hallelujah. Anybody else besides me frustrated? That we're not seeing what God told us we could see? And I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm frustrated because I'm not seeing what God told me we could see. Well, what are you doing to see it? I'm praying. <laughs> I'm fasting for it. Well, is that, is that biblical? Is that what you're supposed to do to see revival? What, what did they do in the New Testament church? Did they pray for revival? Well, no. But we're going to pray and fast for revival. Do you think it would make sense for God who wants to take us to the next level to begin to shine some light into some of this stuff so that maybe we can begin to see what God wants us to see so we can begin to do what God wants us to do? I think God's trying to give us some revelation that will combat the subtleties that hell has infused into the minds and the hearts of the church. That he's trying to give us wisdom and he's trying to give us truth. But how many know the Bible talks about there's some hard truths? And I think maybe this would fall under some of that. Some of you are still having a hard time with this because you still think I'm preaching against prayer and fasting. And I'm not. I promise you I'm not. What I'm preaching against is that we think that prayer and fasting is what we're supposed to do to have revival. And God, God never said that. And we're not teaching Bible studies and witnessing to anybody. We're not doing anything outside of these walls. Everything we're doing for revival is in this building. And if that's how it's going to be, we will never see revival. If the only thing we're doing for revival is in our prayer closet, we will never see revival. So hell maybe has convinced us that all we have to do is pray and fast and, what, and that's what's going to cause God to release this great revival. Just keep praying, keep fasting. God's going to release it. God's going to release it. Like we have to think, just think about this. Like don't you know God wants revival greater than we want revival? But the enemy, he, they're so subtle, and it's almost like we have to, 
If you pray hard enough, if you just fast long enough, if you just put up enough prayers, maybe, just maybe, God will finally relent and say, okay, you're on my nerves with all the prayer. I'll pour out revival. Does that even make sense? But now sometimes do you find yourself believing that? If I can just pray more, if I can just fast more, revival's going to come. And then we get frustrated when it doesn't. And hell does this because he knows the book better than we do. And he knows that this book teaches that you cannot be born again. Hear me. I need your mind so much tonight. You cannot be born again without faith. It's impossible to be born again without faith. But he also knows that the book says this, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hell knows that it will be the hearing of God's word that will save the lost. So what does hell want us to do? He wants us to stay in our prayer closets. Far away from lost people. Far away from unsafe people. Far away from broken people. Stay in our prayer closets praying for lost people. So we think we're doing right. But we never actually tell anybody about Jesus. We pray about it a bunch, but we don't actually ever tell anybody about Jesus. But we don't think that's wrong because we're praying and fasting for revival. So at some point, we need to stop praying about revival and we need to start teaching a Bible study. I didn't say stop praying. I said we need to stop praying about revival. And we need to start praying, God, lead me to somebody that's hurting and open. And then when you lead them to me, allow me to have the boldness to teach them the Bible study and declare the word of God to them and then give me a hunger and a passion to disciple that person until they are strong in the faith. And then give me the strength and the ability and the passion to go find somebody else and do it all over again. You see the difference? At some point, we need to stop fasting for their salvation and start inviting them to the house of God. John chapter 8, verse 32, and you shall know the truth you got to know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But what do we do? We sit in a prayer closet. God set them free. God set them free. God set them free. And we never say one word of truth to them. We never speak one verse of truth to them. What do we do? We spend hours and days fasting and praying that God will set them free. But we do not give them truth. And then we get frustrated because they're not saved. I've prayed hours for them. Why aren't they saved? I've fasted days for them. Why aren't they saved? It's because we never actually spoke truth to them personally, face to face. We never declared truth to them. 
Does that make sense? I'm not off on a tangent here, am I? This, is, this makes sense. It's not easy. Kind of frustrates me a little bit that I didn't know this a little while ago. But thank the Lord for revealing it to us now. So hear me. Now just, just think with me. There's only been one virgin birth. There's never going to be another one. Right? Now, I'm not trying to be off color here, but I'm just saying. There's never going to be another virgin birth. There was one and only one. Never going to happen. We can pray and we can fast all we want for some lady to get pregnant. But it will never, ever, ever happen unless a seed is first planted within her. You can pray and fast all you want. It's not going to happen. You can cry and pray and beat the altar and fast for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It will not happen. And if we are looking for an influx of the babes in Christ, it's not going to happen because we just prayed and fasted them into the church. But that prayer and fasting needs to be done in order to wake the church up to our great responsibility to sow seed into a world that has lost and hurting. Somebody said amen. Oh, hallelujah. Let, let, me, let me show you something I, I saw in the scriptures as, as it pertains to this topic of praying for revival versus proclaiming truth in order to see revival. In the New Testament, there was a temple at Ephesus to the goddess called Diana. It's huge, massive temple. The, uh, the temple was beautiful. It was ornate. In fact, in that day and time, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was so magnificent. In that temple to this false god Diana, there were over 1,000 priestesses who would have sexual relations with men as they came in to worship this god Diana. Just a messed up thing. So they would come in to worship this this goddess Diana, and part of their worship would be to, to have sexual relations with all of these, what they call priestesses. And in that city of Ephesus, there, there were thousands upon thousands of people who were devoted to this god Diana. Statues of her, all this stuff. It was such a spiritual stronghold in that city. But I want you to notice that when the apostle Paul gets there, he shows up to Ephesus. The Lord leaves him there. Oh, I just, just, I want you to notice that when he got there, he did not get a prayer meeting going in hopes of tearing down the spiritual strongholds. He didn't pray and plead and beg God that God would do something to stop all of this idol worship. He didn't find a prayer closet and pray, God, you got to stop this idol stuff. You got to stop. You got to do something about this temple. This is horrible and wicked and wrong. And we're going to get some people together and we're going to pray against these things and we're going to war in the spirit against these things. He doesn't do that. Here's what Paul does when he shows up Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, 
have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto then what were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. And they said, Paul, and, and then, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and began to prophesy. And all the men were about 12. And he went into the synagogue. So he does that. And then he goes into the synagogue and he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now watch, just watch. Here we find him proclaiming the gospel message. He steps into the city and the first thing he does, Brother Ron, is he starts talking to people about repenting of your sins, being baptized in Jesus' name. Being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. What is that? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It begins to teach them Bible studies about how to be saved. And the proclamation of the gospel message was the, uh, was the only thing he talked about and, and preached in the temple for months, three months. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? There's only one way into the kingdom. You've got to be born again. Repent, baptize, fill with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But not only did he proclaim the gospel, but he walked in his authority to heal the sick and deliver the oppressed. Because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11, the Bible says, and God, while, while Paul was there, it says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs of aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So just, here we go. So here was Paul in this perverse, godless, wicked city. And what does he do? He simply begins to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and to deliver those that were possessed. And here was the result of it. Acts 19, 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts towards the goddess Diana brought their books together and burned them before all the men. And they counted the price of all that was burned and found it 50,000 pieces of silver so mightily grew the word of God and it prevailed it prevailed over everything else in the city it prevailed over every other God little g in the city it prevailed over everything that was at work in that city my point is this I wonder if the devil would have much rather had Paul stay in his house for hours on end Praying against the evil forces of Diana. I guarantee you, the devil would have much rather 
had Paul get all of his little followers together and those that were saved, those first few people that he witnessed to, and they got and he said, come on, you 12, we're going to go outside and we're going to march around the temple, Diana, and we're going to walk around the city and we're going to do this and that and we're going to have prayer meetings uh, against the idol worship and against the temple and all this and we're going to pull this stuff down and all this, all this. That's what the enemy would have rather Paul did. Why? Because as long as they were praying against the strong. And the spiritual forces of the city, they wouldn't be preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and casting out devils. I feel a little Holy Ghost now. The enemy would have much rather had the church spending all their time asking God to do something in that city. God, you got to do this. God, you got to work. God, you got to pull down the stronghold. God, you got to fight against Diana. God, you got to do this. Instead of realizing that they themselves have the authority of God to work in that city. For the enemy knew that if they continued proclaiming the gospel and healing the sick, that there would be such a revival in that city that many of the inhabitants would turn their back on Diana and turn their heart toward the Lord which is exactly what happened. Paul would do the same thing in Corinth. It was another Roman city known for multiple idols and idol worship and immoral, immoral worship. But we do not find Paul getting a few believers together to walk around the heathen temples praying that God would fight against their evil work. No. Paul just preached the truth. Paul declared and proclaimed the message of repentance and baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, Paul began to declare the working of the Spirit. And the speaking of that truth set many in that city free from the bondage of sin and evil practices. What was it that those New, New Testament believers did? Mark chapter 16 and verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. They went everywhere. What did they do? Preach the word. And the word, after the word came, after the word was declared, after they spoke the word with boldness, the Lord would back it up with signs and wonders and miracles. They proclaimed God's word. They demonstrated God's word. They preached God's word and God backed them up. So many people repented. So many people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, back to uh, Ephesus, uh, that the temple of Diana fell into disrepair. And that temple and that worship uh, has not been a factor for over 2,000 years. But it wasn't because the church had a prayer meeting to pull it down. The church just decided that they understood the authority that they had. And they started being the church. And I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Oh, hallelujah. If you call this your home church and you want what God wants for us, make sure you're plugged into the Spirit right now. Here's what I want you to understand. You want to know why Paul didn't get those people together and say, we got to pull down these strongholds, we got to destroy these strongholds, we got to cast down every evil. You want to know why? Because they understood Christ had already done that. Why pull something down that's already down? 
The book says this, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus speaking. He said, this is him after resurrection. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. You see this? Jesus, through Calvary and because of his resurrection, he has the keys to hell and to death. That means he has already done everything necessary to walk in the position of authority over anything that would come from hell and anything that would desire to work death in the life of humanity. He has the keys. He has the authority over everything and anything that could ever come from hell. Paul knew that. So when he steps into Ephesus and all these people are talking about this great goddess Diana, he said, there's nothing to Diana. There's nothing to her. There's nothing to this God. There's, I don't have to go around and have all these prayer meetings trying to pull down some stronghold. Why, Paul? Because Christ already did that. Why would I want to do something Christ already did? I don't have to mess with something that's already been defeated. I've got the authority in this city. When you have the authority, you don't have to come in and try to pull down another authority. You just walk in your authority. He knew that authority was already defeated. So we didn't have to have a hundred prayer meetings about it. He just walked in and said, I'm going to start preaching the gospel. I'm going to start healing the sick. I'm going to start causing blind people to see and crippled people to walk. I'm going to start causing demon-possessed people to be set free. How come? Because I've got authority in this city. It's already done. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm almost done, but watch this. Just for you, those of you that still think I'm preaching against prayer. Paul knew he didn't have to pray against the goddess Diana. She's already defeated. She's already a defeated foe. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in this world, in this city. I'm not going to spend all my time messing around with something that's defeated. That's what the enemy wants me to do. Because he's afraid of what I'm going to accomplish when I just begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not going to pray about that. But he said, we are going to pray. We're just not going to pray about that. What did Paul have them pray? Look at what Paul's prayer request was for himself. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. He's, pre he's speaking here now and he says, he's teaching them how to pray. And he says, praying always with all prayer, with supplication in the spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, now he switches it right here. He said, You're, that's, I'm teaching you how to pray for yourself. But here's what I want you to pray for me. When you pray for me, here's what I want you to pray. Why? Because prayer is important. Here's what I want you to pray for me. That utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. 
for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Listen, Paul wasn't against prayer. Paul knew there's power in prayer. He just knew what to pray for. And it wasn't against a defeated enemy that was going to keep him occupied for weeks and months. It was somebody pray for me that I'll be able to open my mouth and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly to a world that needs to hear it. That I may walk in boldness of the spirit and boldness in power to declare the word of the Lord. That's what ushered in the revival. In those cities, that's what ushered in the revival. This is what God's trying to teach us. As I close, this is what God's trying to teach us. It's time we stop praying about what God's already done. It's time we stop doing what the enemy wants us to do, which is to spend all our time asking God to work. Spend all of our time asking God to work and send revival and tear down strongholds. For if we're going to see revival in our cities like they saw in Ephesus and like they saw in Corinth when whole cities turned their back on the evil forces and turned them towards the Lord, it's going to be because we begin to operate in the power and the authority that has been given to us by the one who has overcome death, hell, and the grave. And we live our lives... As we pray, we pray, let me leave my house with a desire to proclaim with boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I get to school, when I get to work, when I get to wherever, when I get there, give me a boldness to operate in the authority you've given me to heal the sick, to cast out devils, Mm. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Somebody lift your hands in this place. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.